Welcome to the More Than Music podcast with your hosts Thibaut Duchesnay and Chris Snellgrove. In each episode, we will discuss what sparked our guests' passion and what continues to motivate them to live a dedicated life to the arts. The often overlooked reality is that genuinely dedicating oneself to one's art is not all about the euphoric moments of creation and expression. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Our guest today is Maddie Disgrace. She is a musician from the East Coast of Canada who has been in so many bands that it's almost impossible to count. Out of Controller, Fat Stupids, Weekend Dads, Sore Spots, Future Girls, Modern Cynics, Century Egg, Cluttered, who just won the Music Nova Scotia Loud Recording of the Year Award, and she performs as a solo artist. And let's be honest, I'm sure I've missed at least a dozen more. She's been a staple in the Halifax DIY punk community forever, and the bands she has been in have releases on labels from all over the world. She has spent a little time in Ottawa and already has a new band, Crisis Party, with some of Ottawa's friendliest punks. Maddie is also very active, is a very active trans advocate who goes by the pronouns she and they. And she has been dealing with her own dysphoria with a huge support network based on how great a person she is. So without further ado, Maddie Disgrace, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's my first time ever being formally introduced by my punk name. Oh, really? That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, because my last name is just Grace, but somebody at one point was like, Disgrace would be a good like punk name for you. So this is a first. Wow. It's funny because I didn't even think to ask you. I just assumed that that was what you went by, period. No. It's just like a really good internet handle. Damn. Yeah. But 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 it's it's your name when you do shows and stuff as a solo artist. No. It hasn't been. Maybe it will be now. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. I the worst part is I did a bunch of research and I looked at flyers. I guess I'm so there there might be one. I know there's a flyer from like a Halifax show that I did that had it listed as like Maddie Disgrace or like something to that effect. But um yeah, not that I know of. Uh, it probably would be better for like branding purposes if I actually went by Maddie Disgrace, but it just happens to be the internet tag that I've stuck with for like 10 years. I apologize. Shit. Coming out of the gate like an asshole. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're not an asshole. <laughs> well, all right. Then. Well, welcome to the show. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, t <laughs> Welcome to More Than Music. Where it's a show where we're going to look uh, and talk to you for a good two hours about, you know, your life story, uh, how you grew up and how you really got into music. And, you know, I think what can be interesting in this show is those significant memories that were like life changing, where, you know, you kind of pivot into the direction, into a direct, a new direction outside of the social mole or outside of what other people um tell you you should do or you should be uh and i think uh that could be a really interesting talk what do you think yeah and i mean like brace yourself let's do it all right so tell us a bit about where you're from okay so i grew up in rural new brunswick i grew up in miramichi new brunswick um which is like uh not the most accepting place in the world it's very small it's a city but in the sense that it's just like uh, several amalgamated communities and i even like went to like elementary school and high school 
like 20 to 30 minutes outside of the city limits. So like very rural, like just, you know, away from any, like there was nothing cool there. And it was Mm -hmm. where I was, was even further removed from like what was cool. Um, So like did, that's where I grew up. Um, I, you know, uh, my, my folks were together through, they did the like stay together for the kids. Um, I tried that for two for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And like my dad worked away a lot. My mom worked at home. Um, that kind of stuff. I have like really early music memories of like my mom playing like the beach boys and stuff, like just very, very vivid ones. And then like, she liked a lot of AM radio. So there was a lot of like pop music and Elton John and shit, like (laughs) always kind of on in the house. And then my dad really liked like guitar rock, like, like Boston and Leonard Skinner and shit. (laughs) Um, And so when it came time for me to be like, I like music and I want to, you know, this is something that's important to me. It shouldn't be any real surprise that it's like, oh yeah, like everything I do is just like loud guitars and pop harmonies. Like it, it kind of is very formative in that sense. But like my earliest music memories are like, like those couple things. And then I remember being like eight years old and a neighborhood kid whose parents had access to the Columbia record house. If you remember right. um, yeah, that, totally. that, because I taste for a cent. Yeah, exactly. Cause I'm, I'm old as dirt. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, so it's, it was just like, uh, this neighborhood kid had a copy of Dookie and I was like, like, what is this? Like, I'm, you know, I'm drawn to this. And then like, there were a couple years where things were kind of like, like removed a little bit from that. Like I didn't have access to it myself. It was like very early internet. So it wasn't like you could find it and to like buy a CD, it was like 30 or like $40. And I was a little kid, so you didn't have money. So it was just like, you know, you kind of like, or like, I liked that thing I heard once. And then, um, there was a Christmas one year was the year that the Offsprings Americana came out. So I bought the Offsprings Americana and Goo Goo Dolls Dizzy Up the Girl. And those were the first like two albums I bought with my own money. Awesome. And I still have like, I still have like a huge love for like early Goo Goo Dolls. Like some of that stuff yeah, is totally. awesome. Yeah, It's absolutely. like full on replacements worship. It's, it's yeah. fucking great. Um, and so kind of had those CDs and then started collecting more stuff and like, you know, pop punk kind of got popular. I got really into like Blink-182 and I would like read who they like would thank in their liner notes and I would trace it back. And so I'd be like listening to those other bands and like, that was all I could do in like a rural place was like, at least like try to learn about these bands, whether or not I was able to actually like hear all of them. Yeah, totally. And so like that, you know, that happened and that was kind of like a big deal. And then there was like, you would read about bands like The Descendants and you would read about like Black Flag. And I was really into Nirvana and Nirvana, like Kurt Cobain was always just like the Pixies and Black Flag and Wire and all of these bands. Like, yeah. 
listen to those things. And it gave me like, oh, maybe those are something I'd like. And not everything that like that person would be like, this is the best band. Like not everything resonated with me, which was of course. nice yeah. because like you don't want to fully idolize somebody. That's weird. Um, <laughs> and so like then just starting to like build a foundation of songs and then like I was able to like, you know, afford more music myself and also the internet got better. So I was like downloading songs on 56 K modem and like hoping no one would pick up the phone to like <laughs> break the connection line. And, you know, I just got like, just like kept being drawn more and more to like punk things or punk adjacent things. And it was always kind of like, I always felt a little bit out of, you know, out of step to say, um, I knew that I had gender dysphoria from a really young age, but I didn't know why I didn't feel okay in my body. It was very like, I don't have words for this and there's no way to research it. And there's no way to like, you know, remember she doesn't have a trans really have a trans community. Like there's like a couple people and they kind of like live in fear a little bit. Like, it's just like, I'm sure not, it's not an accepting place. Um, and so you know, like I didn't have representation. I didn't have, I didn't know what any of these things were. And so that kind of leads me up to like high school. And then I was like, I have to get the fuck out of here. I have to, I have to make an exit strategy. I have to do something because uh, I just knew that I like was gonna like die there. Like if I didn't leave, yeah. it, it like, it's the curse of the small town, right? Like you don't leave, then you just kind of like, without a way yeah exactly um so i moved to halifax and pretty quickly after getting there i started going to local shows um and then started my own band which was like not very good and then got that band got better and like i just i started playing like five nights a week and then it just kind of all snowballed from there how old were you when you moved to halifax like 16. Holy shit. Wow. 16 or 17. Yeah. Like, like it was, it was pretty young. Like I moved for school because it felt like that was the only option for me at the time was like, I have to do this to get out of here. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, I have to do this to get out of here. And if I don't like, I didn't have anybody be like, you know, you could just like move to a city you can just like go wash dishes somewhere and then like go to community college. Like nobody gave me like advice that would have been really sound for me. They were just like, you're smart. You should go to university. Here's a giant student loan, sink yourself into debt. And it was just like, yeah, I just like, didn't like academia. Like I just wanted to like, all I wanted to do was like make music and like, I was doing it at like a much lesser level then because it was very, you know, you're like learning, you're learning how to of do course. stuff and learning how to like assemble <clears throat> songs and like getting over the fear of showing people things and like, you know, just, uh, getting comfortable with, with things while I'm like still feeling at like such disease with myself. Like, yeah. so it just all like compounded all at the same time. 16 is a young age to move out of the house. Well, I was born, so New York or New Brunswick, sorry. Um, it, they didn't start, 
until the nineties, they didn't start the thing where if you were born after like, you know, the last half of the year, then they would like put you in the later grade because you, you would be like the older kid in the later grade. Okay. Um, so I started school like at five. Wow. So you were, you were always the youngest in your class. I mean, like, yeah, I guess so. And like, we had people who were born in December and stuff. I'm born in October. So like, I was, I was definitely like, you know, in the, the lower later half of that for sure. Well, and I, I say, and I say 16, it was like 16 going on 17 is when I moved. It, it was the same as me. I graduated high school at 16. Yeah. So because my birthday's in September. Yeah. So same, same deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't know why I, for some, do you only go to grade 11? No, we go to grade 12. Wow. But yeah, like, I, gra- I graduated at 16 in grade 11 at the end of grade 11. Yeah. So it was like, like I said, 16 going on 17 or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's still really young. Mm. That's yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like the, the start of a, of a country song or like a, a, an old school punk rock song, like fuck this small town. I got to do something else. Yeah. Like it was, it was not, um, it was not good. And like, my timelines are bad. So like I'll get years and stuff screwed up. So like that, that's a thing that happens sometimes. There's been a lot of things that have happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about punk rock that drew you in at such a young age? Um, you mentioned Dookie at first, you know, well, like, I mean, I, I get musically like the, the power guitars and the, the, the yeah, melodies. the, like the idea of like, um, I had a really like, notable distrust for authority especially early on um because like i saw a lot of hypocrisy within it and i saw a lot of hypocrisy within like even just in like my own household and stuff um so i kind of anything that made me just be like oh yeah this is like like the snottiness of it and it felt kind of like it was like being like you know, turning his nose up at something. Um, so just kind of the attitude of it was very like, was very important. And I was never really into the, like, you know, the masturbation humor or the, like the poo poo pee pee stuff that like blinked it or like, (laughs) like I, I just was never into that side of it. But like, every time there'd be like a serious song or something, I would be like, Oh, what's this? Or like, like my favorite song on Dookie is, like probably coming clean. Like you get yeah, like yeah. the heaviest song on the record, like, yeah, yeah. like lyrically. And you're like, Oh, that's what I'm drawn to. I was very much like you growing up with punk rock. I, and still, I don't like humor and music. I mean, that, that sounds terrible, but to a certain degree, yes, but you can be, you can be tongue in cheek and you can be really clever and you can be sarcastic and biting. And I appreciate all of those things very much. But as soon Propaganda. as it comes down to like a fart joke, I just do not. Yeah. It's like, why is my least favorite Descendants record in joy? And it's just like, oh, there's just farting all over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, like propaganda, propaganda, like Chris Hanna is the king of writing the sarcastic dig that is funny, but there's a, there's a, there's a bite to it. 
Oh, totally. It's that's like the sign of a well-read person. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is on our last episode, we had Jono Hunter. Yeah, I listened to it. Yeah. And the two of you had a very similar musical initiation. Oh, really? With the Columbia House. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, it, I mean, like, he lived in Sydney, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Um, you want to get more, I, like, you want to go to the fucking Miramichi of Nova Scotia? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. we used to have a mine, then the mine shut down, and everyone lost their jobs. Like it was just like, yeah, they're very, they're very paralleled. Yeah. Okay. But I just, I just find it, it funny because I am older than you. Let's just yeah. say that. And I remember Columbia House when I was a kid. So in my mind, when you would be at an age where you would still be getting Columbia House stuff, to me that was dead. I was like. I, I mean, I'm still pretty useless when it comes to computers, but I mean, I wasn't internet. I wasn't, I just, I didn't think those things still existed. And for me, the idea of finding records like The Offspring and Green Day and stuff in Columbia House was just. Was oh, yeah. I mean, like in hindsight, I, I recognize the timeline of things and I'm just like, you know, there was a period of time, even like I wasn't conscious, but I was very much like alive when punk was like completely underground was not like people would know like the Ramones and the clash and like stuff would show up in car commercials and things. And you'd be like, what's that? Um, but like, as far as like, you know, as you said, offspring or green day or like any of the like rancid or whatever, like I'm sure mm -hmm. you could get those things through Columbia house, like during the pop punk boom in the nineties. Yeah. And like, yep. Like I know that the Columbia Record House went on until like, like the two thousands. Like very, like it went a long time. Crazy, yeah. Yeah, and when you, if you're living in a small city or a small town, that's the only way that you're going to get access to music. Like you yeah. say, we had a we had a record store, but I was really really shy, and I didn't really know how to like engage. And like, yeah. I learned at one point that there was somebody who was like, um, like a big part of like the Moncton scene as far as like somebody who attended a lot of stuff. And he actually worked at that record store. And I remembered him growing up and then years later we became friends and I was like this, he was just like, how the fuck do you remember that? It's like, <laughs> oh. When, when you're, when you're a kid, the person who works the, at the record shop is the gatekeeper, you know? Yeah. Like, oh man, this person's so cool. They work at the record shop. <laughs> Maddie, yeah. do you think do you think that this disease that you 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 know you grew up with, uh, kind of made you gravitate towards punk rock and to this kind of other kind of you know outsider misfit whatever you want to call you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I definitely was never like there were kids that were like punker than I was, like you know, like bullet belts and you know, like, uh, like, yeah, I mean, like the spike, like the charged hair. And like, I was trying to think of like a t-shirt that wasn't just doom or something, exploited. but like, <laughs> exploited, <laughs> like, like there were kids like that. And I was very much just like, ideologically I'm a punk, but I probably like, don't look like it because like, I wasn't allowed to have long hair, which was like a huge dysphoria thing for me. Mm. I wasn't, 
like I was a fat kid who then was judged almost entirely on how much weight I lost in like high school. And uh, so then they're just like, and you play guitar. And like, I was just learning. Like I didn't start playing guitar until I was 15. Um, so it was yeah. definitely like, you know, it's like trying to find identity in a town that doesn't appreciate anything that's like outside of just like taking your truck and hanging out in the Sobeys parking lot and harassing people. Um, so, you know, I was like, oh, I feel like out of place all the time. And I was like, I felt so awkward constantly and I didn't know how to like deal with social interactions and like, mm-hmm. it was just like a, it was just a bunch of stuff. And, yeah. um, through that, I was just like, you know, I'd, I'd get like the studded bracelet or I would like just wear the same band t-shirt every day until it like changed several shades of color and like, you know, only wore black and like kind of all of that stuff. And that was like me trying to signify to the world that it's like, I'm trying to, to tell you all something about me that I am not going to just listen to like Nickelback. I'm not going to just <laughs> do the things that you expect of me. Yeah, it's it's funny because um, we everyone here knows Steph. My girlfriend Stephanie. She grew up in a small town in BC, and as a kid, I had the feelings of alienation and not wanting to fit in and not understanding my place in the world. But I lived in Montreal. Yeah. So at 14, I was going to concerts. I was going to punk shows. I was. You know, and I, I never, I mean, I had Mohawk for a little while, but it was too much work. So <laughs> I'm lazy, but I never had the leather jackets. I never had the, the, the studs. I never had any of that shit. I was a skateboarder who liked drugs and like wanted to f- mess around and cause trouble and just start shit because I couldn't understand the world around me. You know, like, yeah. I couldn't process it. And Stephanie tells me stories and I'm listening to just the start of your stories. And it's something that I, 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 it's something that I've, I know only for movies as ridiculous as that sounds. No. And like, it's very, people will like romanticize, especially they romanticize like rural towns in the East coast. They're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. it's so quaint. It's so quaint. And you're like, yeah, but it's like weirdly sinister. Like there's just this like underlying thing where if you're judged to be different and like, that's obviously not a hundred percent of the case. There's cool people everywhere. Of course. But like, you know, you're just like, like at one point it was just like, Oh, I'm just weird. Like before I was like, Oh, I'm a punk and I'm fucking mentally ill. Like before I like knew kind of the different disclaimers of the ways to like identify myself it was just like, I'm just kind of weird. I'm just kind of like a freak or like I feel out of place or whatever. And that was something that I had just like, it just kind of evolved. Like I, I get to, I get to Halifax and I'm like in university and people are like sharing music and I'm just like, here's Operation Ivy. Here's like all of these bands that I was just like, I dove super into and people were like, some of these sound terrible. And I was like, yeah, but Minor Threat's <laughs> the best thing you're ever going to hear. I'll agree with that. <laughs> um, so it was just like, I was like the punk snob. 
like, and cause I got uh, to okay. Halifax and, uh, I had access to high speed internet for the first time. And so I was able to like, you know, download music and like discover bands and start to form my own opinions on the things that I liked. And so like, I was probably pretty punishing at times. And like <laughs> that, that just like, it was just like, a this is something I'm really interested in that has a huge varied and vast history. That's like really interesting. Why don't I just learn everything I can possibly learn about it? Mm. And I've had friends be like, you talk about some bands, like they're huge bands and literally they're your friends. And I was like, yeah, that's because like my friends make rad music. So like you should listen to like small bands. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, that that's how I met Tebow. We met uh, in a bathroom at a small be show. Nice. <laughs> I was, you were talking to Punisher. I was newly sober, like newly straight edge. Yeah. And I was just an asshole. And Tebow was not and still is not. <laughs> and I made a joke, sort of. And he told me to fuck off. And I was like, I like this dude. <laughs> and that but he, was... But he had an avail pin or an avail patch on his backpack. And I, was I, like, almost, I almost wore my avail t-shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know avail? And then we became instant friends. Yeah. And I can count a lot of friends in the punk rock where we just became friends because you like the descendants. I love the descendants. We're friends. We're like best friends. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the thing is like, you find the thing you bond on and then you're just like, Oh, you get it. Like you're also on the outside of the circle or like I've used this analogy a couple of times recently, but it's like the whole world spends all of its time trying to cram you into this binary, into this box that just like, you know, you have to conform, you have to be a cog in like the capitalist machine, you have to reproduce, you have to do all of these things. And then it's just like, well, what if I just don't exist in the box? And that makes a lot of sense. I'm a non-binary trans woman. I am a punk rocker. I am, you know, mostly living as an artist. Like, yeah. um, it's it's kind of a trip like to go from where I grew up and through all of the things that kind of like led me to it to like be at this point in my life. Like it's like, I don't, I both like love and hate nostalgia. Um, and I don't ever really think back on things in like a nostalgic light, but like, sometimes I'll like look back and I'm like, that was really cool. I'm glad I got to do that. Like, but like where I'm at now is kind of like the thing I keep focusing on. So like actually yeah. taking a second to reflect in this podcast is really nice. Well, I, I feel like, you know, I feel like your experience in punk is very different than mine and Tebow's experience in punk. Yeah. Because for lack of a, of a better term, you know, in the nineties, we were just, we were white dudes in punk bands. Yeah. You know, we, Fundamentally, we had all the right. We, um, so we followed all the right ideologies, you yeah. know, uh, respect. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? God, why am I drawing a blank on this word? Is it like 
like you were saying, respect, like no intolerance, like yeah, no intolerance, and you know, no means no, and you know, we were like uh, pro-choice, all of this stuff. Yeah, but it, it's it, for lack of a better word, would you agree with this, Tebow? It was it was easy for us to take that stance, relatively. Why? Because we were white middle class. Yeah. Yeah, and we didn't have all those. You know, it was it was easier to fit in, you know, and punk rock was very white at the very beginning yeah. and very male oriented. I mean, uh, bring women and people of color and like you say, trans and non-binary is fairly new. Yeah. Well, the only the only trans people I knew in the punk scene back then were Wayne Jane County. Yeah. Late 70s. And then. um what was his name from Fuel? Remember? Oh yeah. Um, I forget his name. He was, she was. She's dead. Was uh, it Sarah Kirsch? Yes. Yeah, it was in Pen and Gunpowder too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and aside from that, I mean, on in the punk rock scene, I'm sure there were more, but those were the only ones that we knew about. Yeah, I mean, like you. If it's not widely accepted and it's not like, like it, it's not easy. Like it wasn't easy when I came out, it was super weird. And like, I actually kind of used, so like, I'm going to say two things when I made the comment about my last name being grace, my last name has always been grace. It, I did not <laughs> adopt this at some point when I changed my name, that has always been my last name. Um, but when Laura Jane Grace came out in Rolling Stone, I used her reaction or the reaction that my friends had to that to gauge how my friends would react to me coming out. And was it the same? Yeah. The people who were really cool with it were like really, really cool with it, like without question. And then there were like people who were like really struggled with it and still do. And like, I've been out for, I've been on, like I've been medically transitioning since 2016. So like it's been a long time, like people, people are still tr- struggling to catch up. Like it's, it's kind of fucked up. I, I also feel that people are more accepting of celebrities per se. It's because they don't know them. They just know of them as a persona. But I mean, like that's the, having the representation thing. Like yeah. if, you know, if I had had that at age 12 or 11 or whatever, I would have been like, Oh, that's me. I see myself in this. Like yeah. it, it would have like, you know, it it's as much as people are like, oh, it's a celebrity and I don't really know them. And, you know, it's a hypothetical. There's still like so much good that comes from it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. So um, it was really important what Laura Jane did in coming out. Oh, and yeah. And Stone yeah. and, uh, and making well, I was, it public. And- I was, I mean, like I was on the path to doing that anyway. I was like really thin because I got really into like taking workout supplements and like basically just was on like speed all the time. And so, cause I wanted to be, I knew something was wrong with my body. So I, or like felt wrong. So I would like, I was like, how thin can I get? And I was like, have my nails painted all the time and have like really long hair and like kind of pulled the androgynous thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I was definitely like on my way to that, but it definitely like made it a little bit easier to, to just kind of like be like, fuck it. I just have to do this. And like the circumstances around like when I came out and how I came out and like 
you know, there was just a lot at play, like all at the same time. And like, I lost, you know, I lost some friendships that were really important to me and I've made so many like more authentic relationships since then that it's just kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm just me and I'm able to be myself authentically. And if people appreciate that, then that's like pretty sick. Awesome. See, I see this as so powerful and so courageous, you know, and this is a struggle for anyone to be authentic, right? But to someone who recognizes very early on that they're non-binary and they're trans and, you know, in, in relation to society and whatnot, like what gave you this courage to kind of say, I have to do this. This is who I am. Do you want the like actual answer to this question? Sure. Yeah. The real one. <laughs> if you want to give it. Yeah, yeah for sure. Of course. Um, so I was running out of, um, I kept trying to kill myself. Oh, okay. Like over the course of like 10 years, whether it was like through excessive drinking or like taking pills or whatever, I tried to do that a bunch of times. And one time, I, with my partner at the time, um, I was just like, I don't know what I am, but I know I'm not a man. And then two weeks later I had an overdose. And then later that week I was like, no, no, no. It's, I know exactly what I am. I have to do this. And I just kind of like, was like, if I don't do something about this, like, I'm just not going to be around to deal with it. And I figured that taking this road would be less messy than not taking this road. That's incredible. Yeah. And and to build on what Tebow said, I mean, most people don't live a genuine true life anyways. And without even a fraction of the hard, the hardship mentally and physically and like psychologically in, in society. I mean, yeah. that's, that's well. a huge, how many people, like you say, and thank you for sharing that, how many people choose to kill themselves instead of facing who they really are? I mean, that's a statistic that we'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. So I managed to bring the whole mood down. No, not at all. I'm actually... Really I think that I, to, to yeah. me, that's <laughs> life affirming Yeah, okay. what you're saying. Because look where you are now. Yeah. You're on our podcast. Like, come I'm on, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I had I had to I had to bring it back up. Come on, come on. <laughs> yeah, totally. But no, I mean, you know, we're friends. I'm glad we're friends. Yeah, totally. I, <laughs> so I'm glad you didn't. It didn't. I'm glad it didn't work out in your favor at the time. Yeah, totally. On a selfish yeah, note, it worked out in my favor. So. Great. <laughs> Down to do this for other people. <laughs> I, I, but so this, this is, this is, I was going to come get to this at, at a certain point, but I feel like because you're so outspoken and you're so prolific and you're so out there in so many bands and on stage all the time and this and that, I feel, I'm sure this has already happened, but somewhere along the lines, people, especially in, on the East Coast, are going to look to you and be like, hey, Maddie's not on the cover of Rolling Stone, but Maddie is someone that we can touch and talk to who's a, like, I don't want to say approachable, but you, you know what I mean? Like real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've noticed, I've noticed that too. Um, 
that's it's it's kind of a double-edged sword a little bit um mm. because like stoked that i'm approachable like anybody can come talk to me especially queer people like fucking like if you see me play ever and you just want like a safe person or to like want to hang out or something like i'm very accessible and i'm very there um but at the same time it's like especially being in a city like halifax sometimes where it's just like oh it feels like everybody knows me it's a small town it's it's a small city yeah and um there's something both like nice about that and also like being like oh i wonder like what having a little bit of anonymity is like because i've you know pretty much since um fat stupid started and we were like we were playing all the time um then i started building a reputation of like being a good bass player and a singer and like had the ramones worship thing down and like people were like really drawn to that at the time and then like you know i came out and then started like performing you know performing as myself and it's just like it's kind of like elevated a little bit like because the more i do it the more comfortable i get and then like you know you can be yourself authentically so you can just like kind of speak from the heart and not really have to like like bury it down or hide it in metaphor or whatever and it's it's really nice like um we played we being cluttered played a show in halifax a couple weeks ago and somebody was up front uh and they were drawing every artist and i was outside smoking at the end of the uh, end of the evening and they came up and they're like here i drew you and i was like you fucking drew me like what <laughs> um which is like obviously they were drawing everybody so like you know it's it's just like the performer like artist separation thing yeah totally but it was really it was really cool and very affirming and i felt like you know uh, we played a really good show. So I felt like a thousand bucks. I was like, yeah, we nailed it. <laughs> Circumstances around it were really weird because our bass player, Becca had practiced with us. And then the day of the show, she was like, I really don't feel well. I'm testing negative, but like, I don't think I should go. And so we found a fill in on two hours notice. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Shout out to Sean McGilvery for saving that show. That's amazing. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, someone drew me at a show in Scotland. Wow. It's and wild, right? It's, I, I was just kind of like, I was on tour with Derek. And yeah. so there was an opening act, then Derek, then myself. And at the end of the night, she was, and she was an American. She yeah. just happened to be in the pub. And she's like, oh, hey, here, I drew you, I drew you, and I drew you. And I was like, and the funny thing is, like, can I have that? She's like, no, it's in my sketchbook. So I want to keep it. But you can take a picture. I was like, absolutely. That's that's sweet. Yeah. I yeah. I wouldn't have taken the original if I could have taken a photo, but now they're on my fridge. So it's cool. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, let's we'll we'll bounce around a little bit here. Okay. Musically. Yeah. So let's say what was your first first band? Okay. I started my playing first, shows. first like okay, so like let's exclude high school talent show stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. Like that stuff you, doesn't count. You, you moved to Halifax. You were, you said you started playing in bands. Started yeah. There used to be a message board called Halifax Locals and Halifax Locals would like book shows or you could like look for band members or like it was kind of like a scene hub uh, when message boards existed. And um, somebody posted and they were like, want to start a hardcore band that sounds like apolitical and Reagan youth. And I was like, yes, I want to play that style of music, but I didn't know how to write it at the time. So everything was like kind of too slow. the original lineup of that band was described to me once as like sounding like ripoff records, which is like a label in the nineties in the States that had like supercharger and a bunch of garage rock bands on it. Okay. So like, that was the nicest thing that anybody had said about that lineup of that band. (laughs) And then, um, James, who I play in weekend ads and Hemingways with joined as bass player. And my pal, Darren, who plays in a Toronto band called last agony. Um, he plays with Blast Agony now, was in IDNS. Uh, he joined on drums, and that was kind of like the Dead Pinkerton's lineup that was okay. like, oh, I'm starting to get this. And we just really wanted to sound like Enemy U and D4 and like um, never quite hit the mark, was like still learning how to write songs and like just trying to teach myself how to, to do the thing. And so when Dead Pinkerton's was still active, there used to be a full band open mic in Halifax called Rockin' for Dollars. And Craig Hamlin, who played guitar in a band called Tongan Death Grip, who are amazing and put out a great record called Chula Vista a bunch of years ago. And like everyone should have a copy of it because it's awesome. <laughs> but Craig was looking for people to start a new house band because they were having trouble filling all the spots. And I was like, I'll, I would love to play in a band with you. Like you're like the best guitar player in town. Like I absolutely. He was like, well, you could play guitar too. And I was like, not a fucking chance. I'm going to learn bass. <laughs> and so I bought a bass and through like kind of workshopping stuff and playing all the time, it went from like predominantly being Craig songs to like it being kind of half and half to like me starting to write more of the songs. And then like, we really found a niche in that like, 2010s like garage rock punk rock thing like dirt nap records sort of stuff yeah totally um and then we had a seven inch come out on rad girlfriend and no breaks records which was a another a person named Stuart. and then that band like we just kept writing all the time and i started to develop this like almost a compulsion to try to figure it out, to like try to figure out how to assemble a song in a way that felt like cohesive. Because when I was first starting in bands, I had a really hard time explaining my ideas to be like, Oh, do this or do this. But then like, I started learning how to home record and I could like demo things out myself. And I could like be like, this is how it all makes sense without it just being like, here's a riff. Trust me, play this riff and I'm going to play this thing on top of it and it'll be fine. And I had a really hard time explaining that. So like me learning how to home record and then like working with Craig and Mike and fat stupids really helped me like get to a point where I could like write a song. Like I'm, I'm very indebted to my time in that band because without it, like I wouldn't have started future girls and I wouldn't have like joined all of these other bands and I wouldn't have like, Mm -hmm really gotten to immerse myself in everything that like that, that scene had to offer at the time. 
Well, that that is one thing about East Coast or Halifax in particular, I guess, is that the scene is so incestuous that when people who find each other and play well together, they tend to stick together. Like, I know we're already in this band, but I'm I'm starting a band that sounds like this. You play guitar in this band. Do you want to play bass in this band? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. absolutely. That was all I did. Was it just like, do you want to be in this band? Yes. Like, you want to fill in? Okay, like, I'll fill in. You want me to, like, you know, do you want me to do whatever? I'm just happy to hang out. And then, like, people seem to really like that approach because I would, like, show up to practice and mostly know the songs and do the legwork and, like, genuinely want to play in projects I gave a shit about. And, like, other people were like, oh, you're, like, I was in a hardcore band called Cutie for a while. And um, I joined because I was like, do you, do you want to fill in? Like, Future Girls were playing a show with Cutie. And I was just like, just teach me the songs. I'll do it. And then I ended up, like, becoming, like, a full member of that band. And, like, I was just really stoked on it. Like, their first show was a Fat Stupid's reunion show. Like, before I was in the band, I was just like, new hardcore band with this person. Uh, my pal Jess, uh, I was just like, yeah, I want them to open the show. Like, I want people to see this band. And it was just like, why did the hardcore band play with the pop punk band? And it was like, because that's what I wanted. That's what I like to listen to. Like, and it sounds like you were spending a lot of time playing. Yeah, I was. I and writing and learning how to write. And yeah, I was doing this kind of all concurrently while like working a day job and having a relationship and um, dealing with my mental health and like, was just like my escape. Like I was just like fully into escapism was just like, gotta go, gotta go play a show. Gotta go play a show. Gotta go get drunk at the bar. Gotta go hang out. Gotta go like do these things when, you know, let's just say inside the box people were like, why are you out every night? And it's just like, because I have to work all day. Otherwise I would just be doing this all day and I would get a lot of sleep. <laughs> but yeah. is that escapism? I mean, like at the time it was, I was definitely trying to escape from feeling and being in touch with myself. Really? Hmm. Oh yeah. Cause like being on stage felt like a moment where I could be like comfortable and kind of relaxed without like, having to think too much about all of the other things that are swirling in my brain all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you a question. In those moments, you talked about the snottiness of punk rock. Yeah. Did you ever feel like when you got on stage, were you ever of that milk where you're just like, fuck you. you know, um, it's not, it's not an ungrateful thing. It's just kind of like you get on stage and kind of this, for lack of a better persona kind of takes over. You're just like, this, this is where I want to be. This is where, you know, and you just kind of lean a little too much into it. I've always been kind of like a gentle weirdo. So I never, the times where I would like lean into it were like, I used to have a Ramones tribute band and we would like wear the leather jackets and snarl and do the whole thing. And it was like, that was like dressing up. Yeah. That was like, oh, we're playing characters. I'm playing Johnny. I got to do this. Um, but for the most part, I've always just tried to be like, you know, 
tried to be kind and tried to be funny. And then like what I realized what worked for me for like funny is to also be like kind of self-deprecating and poking fun at yourself all at the same time. So it's just like, um, it took me a while to figure out what worked for me. Like fast stupids had a lot of back and forth banter and I would like never have quick replies. And then eventually I got to be quicker and was able to like, you know, those shows were really entertaining because we would just like play off each other the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now question, this is, I've actually been talking to friends about this. You know, if you were raised on eighties and nineties punk rock, of yeah. whatever, whatever genre, you know, like, like crust punk, hardcore punk, yeah. pop punk, whatever there, for some reason in the late, in the eighties and the nineties, there became this, it became less of a fuck you. We're going to change the world to I'm a loser, self-deprecation, like, you know, like, well, not a woe is, I guess a woe is me to a certain degree, but it's just, you know, I'm so different. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think, I think a lot of that comes from the grunge thing. I think a lot of that is, I think a lot of that is like residual grunge energy because like, you know, I think like the earnestness and the honesty and stuff, like, I mean, you know, rights of spring and embrace and like going into the nineties, like sunny day real estate and jawbreaker and bands like that. were all just like heart on sleeve. Like, Oh yeah this is the thing. And that was kind of, I found that really, really endearing because I just like, it's way easier to just be one way all the time. Like if you like, instead of like switching to being like, Oh, I'm, I'm on stage. So I got to be angry. And like, I've Mm -hmm. had sets where I was like really frustrated or something was going on. Or I like, I read a quote once with the guitar player and at the drive-in And he said something to the effect of play your instrument like you hate it. And so that was my main music philosophy for like many, many years was playing my guitar like I hated it. What does that mean? Just like, just as like, you're just constantly digging in, you're trying to like, almost like exercise demons while you're doing it, like hands clenched, like just pushing as hard as you can. You want to hurt the guitar. Yeah, because it can't hurt myself. So I, I could, but I, I can, I want to hurt the guitar. Yeah, and it makes that 100%. Uh, it makes sounds right when you hurt the yeah. guitar. Yeah, I get that a hundred percent. I was, yeah. I was like that for a long time. Yeah, because you're just like, <clears throat> like, oh, everything else is the shit. Like it's, it's just the shit. You're like, but in this moment right now, playing to ten people, maybe one of them will come back. I'm gonna play as hard as I can, and just my thing was always like playing really hard and really aggressively while still trying to like, just be like, you know, originally I was like a little bit kind of scared to talk about my feelings, especially in like fat stupids and stuff. I was just like writing songs. It was at the time when like the Riverdales had reunited and like bands like that had all kind of like were blowing up. And so I was like, I'll write a song about a spy or I'll write a song like, the first Fat Stupid seven inch is five songs and three of them are mine and two of them are Craig's. And out of my three, one of them is written as kind of an ode to a Moncton band called the Varsity Weirdos, uh, who were a pop punk band on It's Alive Records. Uh, Eric from the Varsity Weirdos went on to be in Chiller and Feral Trash and Fear of Lipstick. And Corey from Varsity Weirdos went on to being in Weekend Dads, which is one of my bands. 
but I loved the varsity weirdos. They were like one of the first local shows I, I saw. And so I wrote a song called I'm a weirdo. And that's kind of a nod to that. And I like kind of mimic their songwriting style, but I change it a little bit. And then the last song on the record is a song about my parents' divorce. And no one, cause it's like all veiled in like, you know, um, English lit dust. It's just like, it's all sprinkled <laughs> yeah. on top. Uh, but yeah, that song's very much about my parents' divorce. And that was just like, and I snuck it in. And then people are like, like we got a review for that record. That was just like, um, it was in maximum rock and roll. And it was just like, this is pretty good. If you like bands like the Mar- marked men and Clorox girls, but those bands are the worst. <laughs> it was just oh, like, what? <laughs> I was like, that's a great review. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. You're comparing me to bands that I like. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the wrong person got that album for a review. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I have it saved on my phone. Cause it's so funny to me. Yeah. I remember getting reviews from our being like, I feel, oh yeah, it was like two singers, one's good, the other's okay, could be faster. <laughs> like, oh, like what? okay, thanks. <laughs> sure, you want a producer credit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so when you started, when you started, you know, you're playing five nights a week. You're in a relationship. You're trying to maintain a job. You're trying this at some point did something give and, or were you able to just keep, keep on trucking and just keep going and going and going? No, I gave my mental health kind of caved in a bunch of times, Okay, Okay. which is the thing we talked about earlier. I would just be like, Oh, I'm going too hard. And then all of a sudden I would have like an episode and it would just be like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing too much. There's too much going on in my life right now. Like, there's too many stressors all affecting me at the same time. And I would just like, I wouldn't know how to stop doing the things. So I would just kind of like shake and implode. In, in, with time, what have you learned about caring for your mental health? Um, as hard as it is, because like, you know, everybody needs to work and everybody needs to like try to survive. Um, not putting your energy into things that don't give you energy back has mm. been really important to me. So like, you know, not like I've had jobs where I'm just like, I do not give a shit. I am just a body. I am just here. I will do the thing. And then like, I've had jobs where I'm just like, no, this is fun. I'm hanging out with my friends and it's just like, I'm hanging out, but like also serving people. Like it's mm. like, it's fine. Yeah. Um, so I've just been kind of trying to focus a lot on that. And like, also like if you can afford it and you want to venture down that alley, like going to therapy is really helpful because like, if you're not trying to do a big repair all the time and you're just doing like regular maintenance, then you're able to like, not, collapse into the pit of despair as often. (laughs) Even just what you said at the first about, I want to focus on and give my energy to anything that gives my energy back. I mean, that's people can evaluate from a daily perspective. What is it that I'm doing? Who am I talking to? 
that is giving me energy back or is not giving me energy. And maybe this is a reflection to change something, you know, change relationships, change job, change hobbies, Absolutely. you know, whatever it is. Just like, there's only, there's only so much that you can do and take. And so like, if you're like, especially like a queer person in the East coast, like, mm. you know, there's still a lot of like bigotry and there's a lot of like fucked up shit that happens all the time. And so, you know, your guard is up constantly. Like if my guard is up constantly, I have no energy to do anything else. So like when I'm doing other things, it makes more sense for me to like interact with people that I love and like be in spaces that feel safe and like, you know, not put myself in compromising positions. Um, It's yeah. It's just like, it's, kind of exhausting to have your guards up but it's kind of necessary when you don't know what other people will say or do yeah totally and it people people i'm not the only person that has described this aspect of transitioning um Mm. this way but um it's never that it gets easier it's just that sometimes it gets a little bit less hard mm. the longer as it like as it goes. Um, and I know that that sounds very like very weird, but um, no, it doesn't. No, yeah. it doesn't at all. That's, that's an alcoholics thing too. Oh shit! Yeah, it's it never it gets easier, but it never gets easy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and it's just like you know, uh, I'm fortunate right now that like I'm hanging out in a cool city and seeing friends and like doing stuff. And, um, I'm really fortunate to be able to do that right now, which is pretty cool. Um, and I'm just kind of existing day by day and seeing what happens and kind of just navigating through it. Cause also we're still living in a pandemic and things are scary and like, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of just like, caution and taking stock and i think like a lot of folks during this like time period have really like a lot of folks have come out as trans and have recognized that there were things that they needed to do and i think there's probably an uptick in that because like when you're left alone to your own devices and you have to deal with the voice in your head if you're not being honest with that voice then eventually you got to do something about it Mm. that's very true and the reality is a lot of people don't have the creative outlet that you do yeah Yeah, i'm i'm pretty fortunate um i mean like between all of the projects that i have on the go and the things i've done in the past and like i've i've done really good for a little fat queer kid from mare machine new brunswick (laughs) but you're not done. No, I know. You know, that, that's, that's the best part about it. That's there's, there's like, there's cool stuff coming. Yeah. There's cool stuff coming in the next like two months. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You can talk, you can talk about it if you want. Sure. Um, so on May, I believe it's May 6th. Uh, there's two tapes coming out. Um, the first one is a solo EP I recorded earlier this year called I was a fat stupid which is 
they were doing like 10 year nostalgia challenges on Instagram and I got super bummed out about it. And so I wrote an EP in the style of the band I was in 10 years ago. <laughs> and it uh, turns out I can still write pop songs and I'm really <laughs> happy with it. So that comes out on Tarantula Tapes and... Um, and then there's a Future Girls reunion EP. We recorded oh, cool. it about two years ago. It was supposed to come out last year, but we're getting it finalized and that's going to come out on May 6th as well. Um, Tarantula Tapes is doing a physical copy and I believe Dirk Cult is going to do the digital, which is, which is nice. Um, so those two things are coming. Uh, there's a super, I'll just say it, um, because we've been really cryptic about it, but Cluttered and Talk Show Host are doing a split. Yeah. Um, and the whole concept behind it is just uh, paying uh, like uh, homage to this band, Enemy U, who were a punk band in the early 2000s. And it just turns out that like Fab and Chris from Talk Show Host and I are like, we're just all of the same ilk and love those that like love that band. And so we're doing a split where each band recorded two songs, but we swapped singers and it's going to be oh, called yeah. enemy us. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, that comes out, uh, that's going to come out in May before Pooza Fest. And, um, sometime in the summer, there's going to be a crisis party demo. <laughs> You know, this is this is one of the things. I, I don't know what you were like as a student. You know, you 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 referenced uh, the people saying like, "Oh, you're smart. You should go to university." This and that. But I feel like there's a certain amount of creative intelligence required, or maybe it's a compulsion. I don't really know. But I, uh, so I have I had at the time when I was in school uh, severely undiagnosed ADHD. So, and I did, and it's, this is so weird, but, um, they classify ADHD symptoms as being masculine or feminine, which is kind of weird and gross. Um, really? but yeah. So like the feminine characteristics are like, you're a daydreamer or you're inattentive or you're like just kind of quiet and all of those things. Mm. Whereas the masculine one is low, like flipping chairs and shit and being loud and all of those things. And so I just exhibited all of the feminine one traits because I was a girl <laughs> um, and they just never caught it because like one of the things too, is if you have ADHD, sometimes you excel at school without trying because your brain can process things like a little bit quicker before you get distracted or whatever. So like there were just, there were classes that I was really good at because it, I would turn things into puzzles and, and stuff, but like, every like my school didn't even have a music program so it was just like i didn't even have that energy to put it in anything i was just like drawing on my notebooks all the time and like was very like head in the clouds and just like was waiting for class to be done so i could put in my headphones and listen to my walkman or my discman like it was just like i just need this to be done so i can go back to listening to music fair enough yeah and there's a part of you, like in listening to your story, that you're very action oriented. You're always doing something. Yeah, can't stop, won't stop. 
I don't I don't know why. I don't actually know why I'm so driven to do stuff. Like right, like right now, the things I'm juggling are like mm, there's multiple things I'm juggling. That's like right. all the time. Now now to 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 draw a parallel from my life to your life, and this could be totally out in left field. I go through periods like that where I don't want my brain to work in a rational, like just, okay, you, you need to stay busy or all of this is going to come crashing down. Oh yeah. At this moment. Yeah. Uh, if you stop moving, then you get eaten like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Where you're just like, like this so far this year, the I was a fat stupid came out on Bandcamp, and I put out a new modern cynics record and I finished recording a secret, not so secret project with Dwayne who played in future girls and Becca who, excuse me, who plays in cluttered. Um, so Dwayne and Becca and I have a band called winter trash. It's just three songs. It's a three song EP. Um, that'll come out soon ish. And it's kind of the format, like the foundation of like crisis party. Like we may even play some of those songs, but I just write all the time. Like every couple of days I'm like recording a demo or, or doing something. And it's just like, it's like a constant refinement of an art practice and like going in and being able to make like writing songs for different bands at the same time and making the band sound like they're not the same band is a really interesting challenge that I've like, like cluttered songs don't sound like crisis party, even though no one has heard crisis party yet, but like future girls don't, doesn't sound like cluttered and century egg, like the songs I've written for century egg don't sound like weekend dads. Like, and like, you know, some of those bands I didn't contribute as much to, like, I would be like, I was always a really good arranger. If somebody came in with parts, I would be like, do this one this many times and this and this and this. Um, and I got more refined at that. And then I started applying it to my own songwriting. And then when I was applying it to my own songwriting, I was able to be like, just need one verse, just need this. There's more of an impact if it doubles this, like just kind of piecing it all together and like building it up. And so, yeah, so it's, can't stop, won't stop. And have you ever had periods of uh, call it boredom or white page syndrome or saying? Oh yeah, I go through I go through bouts of writer's block really quickly, but like I I go through them relatively frequently. Like how do you get through? Um, I've never really consciously thought about it. Um, sometimes I just like like won't play anything for a couple of days and then I'll pick something up and see if something will inspire me or I'll like, I'll purposely just like listen to like new music and try to take in new bands or things I haven't heard or try to take in different influences and then be like, I wonder if I can write a song that sounds like that. And then I'll pick something up and it won't sound anything like that, but it'll turn around into something else. And I'll be like, Oh, I can use it for this band or I can use it for this band. So, so your, your writing blocks aren't very long. No, but they happen like <clears throat> relatively frequently, like probably once every two months, once a month, something like that. I think it goes back to this can't stop, won't stop. Yeah. <laughs> you just push through. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, um, I have friends who are professional musicians and, you know, they're like, I get up in the morning, I have breakfast, I write. Yeah. What? What do you mean you just, you write? Like, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I can't just, okay, it's 9.30, time to write some songs. I had become that person. Um, really? Nice. I just leave everything set up most of the time. Um, and then it's just like, uh, if I'm like puttering around the house or doing something and I'm just like, if I pick up a guitar and I get the idea, or if I'm like noodling around and something strikes me, I'll just sit down and do it. And I'll take the, the 40 minutes it takes to lay down all the guitars and have a program drum and do like a vocal take and then just commit the song like to being a thing and then just like having it. And I got an arts grant last year and I was able to kind of like live as an artist for a couple months. Oh, amazing. And that really helped solidify that as part of my practice is just like, like I didn't intend to write a bunch of songs in the last week, but I've written a bunch of songs in the last week and it just kind of happened and it happens really quickly. And then like some of it is just like, I'm playing my first solo show in Ottawa on uh, April 24th at live on Elgin. And I was just like relearning a set, like a solo set. And it's, it's, just kind of like I'm playing a lot of like capoed guitar and a lot of like chording. And then eventually I'm just like, Oh, that's a cool chord progression. Like if I fuck something up or I make a mistake and I'm just like, Oh, what can I do with that thing that I, that abomination that I created? What can I <laughs> do to turn it into something that's good? Um, so it's, it's pretty, it's, you know, it takes work, but it's something that like, also I just kind of enjoy it, even though I'm like, writing about like super sad shit all the time. Like, yeah, but it's, it, it gets it out of you. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, I, I've, I've personally, I've written songs that to me are just too sad. I can't, or too emotional that I, I don't, I can't play them anymore. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you know, everything I write is a feeling or, uh, uh, something that has happened to me that I I don't know how to properly explain. Yeah. So you take some form of poetic license and you create this this story, and I f- it's you know it's the only thing that works for me. It's I mean same uh, like. I wrote during that arts grant, I wrote something like 24 songs. Um, and that was in the span of like four or five months. Um, and so for, it was just like, bands. pardon me, just like 24 songs for different bands or just tw- no for, for cluttered. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So we managed to like whittle it down. So we have 10 for a full length and then there's a couple other ones. And since I've gotten to Ottawa, I've written four new songs so we are working on album two at the same time as we're working on album one. Um, <laughs> because people like a band I'm in now, <clears throat> which is like really rad. Cause like, you know, future girls and fat stupid's like definitely 
had success in their own right and like got to do cool things. But cluttered is just like a little bit different. And it's like, oh, these songs are like, like very a little open woundy, but like also like being self-aware and being aware of like the socioeconomical climate and like all of those things really like warrant themselves to this band. And like, it's, it seemed like at the beginning of COVID, there were a lot of bands that were having like an upward trajectory and then COVID hit and then everything kind of went to shit. Mm -hmm. And like our band didn't exist until the fall of 2020. So like we formed during during COVID and released two EPs within the span of six months. And then it's just like, it's just going from there. And it's like, I feel weird that we haven't put another EP out because I know the material is there, but it's just like, it's getting it all together and getting it ready to go. And we have that split coming. So like Mm -hmm. there's, there's still things happening. People are still like discovering that band for the first time. And I'm like, the worry that I have with the full length is that people aren't going to like it as much. Okay. It, it's, it's weird that little bit of like, and it's not even real pressure. It's like self-imposed pressure. Like people really liked what you've done so far. Are people going to like the next thing? Yeah. Cause you know? it's like, it's objectively like a darker record. The new mm. cluttered full length is, is going to be called high lows. Um, and it's essentially like a narrative arc about being a trans person living in a city that doesn't really give a fuck about you. Mm. Um, and that's, it's not, uh, not the feel good hit of the summer. Let's just say <laughs> what you're talking about, uh, makes me think of, uh, at lunch, I, I wanted to listen to Charles Bradley song. You know, he covered black Sabbath changes. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard it. I have. Yeah. So I look on YouTube and there's a guy who comments right underneath the video and he says something completely, utterly beautiful. He says that I I heard somebody say something as to it's the duty of artists to go into darkness and bring something back that's tangible for people to heal themselves with. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a great quote. That's an incredible quote. It's so direct and it brings back to focus the job of the artist and the musician. Yeah. It's uh, it's too bad that it's so much work to like put things in place to like maintain yourself as an artist. Like, cause for, so for like years, I just described myself as like a musician or a punk musician or whatever. And then I got this arts grant and like, you had to submit a CD and submit all these things. And I had to take stock of all of the things I had done. Mm. And I was just like, Oh, I'm an artist now. And it like was this like little switch in my head that awesome. just kind of flipped where I was just like, oh, I'm not just a musician, but I'm an artist and I'm trying to do these things. And I'm like, you know, self-teaching myself Photoshop and managing social media and doing all of the like things that you have to do alongside of just making art. Um so and there's like, that whole mechanical, but then there's that element of inwards. You're talking about this new record, you know, and it yeah. all the dark deep stuff this is your life too and how you're trans yeah. you're kind of translating all this these feelings that are really hard to manage into art and music that's gonna actually help other people save their yeah. lives literally yeah i i hope so i mean like i'm just stoked that people like a thing that i've done <laughs> yeah that's, that's what it always comes back to is just like 
me just being like, oh, I did a good job. Like, you know, <laughs> like kind of like uh, the best part and the worst part of release day is that you're just like craving validation. Mm. You just want people to share it and you want people to say it's good and you want like people sure. to be stoked on it. Um, but then you're also putting this pressure on yourself to be like, well, if it's not as good, then like maybe I'm a piece of shit. And it's just like, no, like everything is subjective. You just got to like put it into the ether. And that's why I don't like waiting for stuff. Like that yeah, <laughs> I was a fat stupid, that I was a fat stupid EP I did. I recorded at the end of January. We mixed it the week after and I put it on Bandcamp for February. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I, I can't sit on this because also like trying to be like, you don't want to like have something come out six months later and be like, remember when people were doing nostalgia posts on Instagram? Like it's like it had to strike <laughs> at the right time. Yeah. Um, totally. And you don't always get the luxury of that, especially now with like final pressing times and like having to like hope that somebody wants to put out your stuff and like, or because if they don't, then you just put it out yourself. You just yeah. like DIY it because that's all I know how to do. Wasn't it a shop maker from Ottawa, the emo band back nineties that every time they played, they were all <laughs> playing new songs. So you would pick yeah. up the record. You would be hoping that they would play something off the record, but no, they were already two steps ahead with new songs. hundred yeah, percent. I And it's all, it was awesome, <laughs> but it, I, at the same time, infuriating because it was before the internet. So you get the seven inch, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to hear these songs. You listen to it and you go see them play. They don't play any of them. And they're like, oh, these songs are on our upcoming seven inch. And you're like, okay, cool. Then you get that seven inch. You're like, oh, I can't wait for them to play these songs. Now I really know what they sound like. Nope, they're on to something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's something I try to keep in mind when I'm like trying to figure out when we like get everything together to finalize the recordings for the cluttered full length because everything is demoed, but it's a matter of like relearning the songs and retracking everything and, and doing all of that part. And it's just a, like, it's a matter of like writing a set where it's like, you play some new songs and still play the old ones because like there was a band from Montreal that I loved called Sonic Avenues. Yeah, um, and the last time I saw them play, but the second last time I saw them play, it was like before their final record came out and they just played all of the new record and then like two songs from the other ones. And I was just like, I don't know these ones, but I know this band very well. Like what's, what's up. And then I, I decided that at some point I probably, as much as I like could be that band because I have the material, I, I like, I'll play the hits. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. <laughs> um for, like we're doing this european tour next month yeah and people have liked the record that we put out in october yeah but the record that came out in october of 2021 we started recording it in july of 2019 yeah so stephanie's like oh we gotta we gotta we gotta do songs from the record i'm like ah we have so many new songs let's just not do any of those just i'll do new, all new ones and it's exactly what you said. You have to kind of, you know, well, we have a video for this song. We did a single for this song. People seem to really like this song. It's like, oh, God, I don't want to play these songs. They're so old. <laughs> I, uh, I still find like there's kind of a like, so Cluttered's only been playing live shows since last summer. 
Um, that band was never really intended to be an actual band and became an actual band. Um, and because okay. like it formed for a thing called Demo Fest that some folks in Montreal were doing, which yep. was a fundraiser for solidarity across borders. Yep. And so it formed for that. And it was just Dylan and I asking a couple friends to sing with us. It was originally just going to be me and Danny Bailey who played in Jabber. Um, and then Dylan was like, I'll play drums on this. And so it just kind of happened. And then when it came time where it was like, oh, people like this, maybe we should like put a band together. It was just like a no brainer to get Becca and AJ. Um, they play in a bunch of bands together already. Dylan and AJ play together and Becca plays on the future girls reunion EP. Yeah. So like, and Becca sang on a bunch of my solo stuff and I did a split with the dinosaur. We were on tour together when COVID hit, like. So there's a lot of history and we were just like, we all got along and it was great. But like, I realized that like, we'll probably end up playing out of van love letter every single set for the rest of the time of the band. <laughs> like that's the, hit. that's the hit and like burn all of it. People like that song a lot. So I'm just like, Oh, like, I'm okay with these. These songs are still really rad. And I'm sure if I played them every night for a year, I would probably be like, I can do this with my eyes closed. But like when people like react in a positive way and they know the song and then like, sometimes they sing it back. Like that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Music is social, you know, as, as much as it's, you know, the internal creation, there's also, like you say, the validation and the, the feedback from your listener from, yeah. Hello. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, thought, I thought you cut off. You the way you and your sense. You're like back from the listener. <laughs> cut off. Well, you know the feedback for that interaction, right? So you yeah. know if you're playing stuff that's totally weird and people are kind of spooked out by it, you do want to please as much yeah. as you want to express. Yeah, totally. And like we we did a clutter tour in November, and four of the songs are on the album. And they all went over very well when we would play them. We'd just be like, here's a block of new songs. And like, it was like kind of separated from everything else. And we would just do it. And then you could kind of get a gauge or a reaction of like how they're going to go over at least the three that we chose or the four mm -hmm. that we chose. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like, it's cool. I am excited to do more things with that band and I'm excited to keep, like writing songs and like exploring it. And I'm also excited for this new, new project because I get to play with two people who I've only played music with once before. So like, that's the other part of like, when you said music, music is social, like being a musician and like getting to hang out with your pals is kind yeah. of the best thing in the world. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. I've only ever once been in a situation where I, was in a, I was looking for musicians to kind of like arrange my solo songs. Yeah. And I couldn't find a drummer to save my life. And so I randomly put a post on Facebook in a group and I was like, Hey, I'm a musician looking to write some songs. And this guy responded. And the first jam was really kind of awkward. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know you. This is weird. And then that was three years ago, I guess it had to have been before the pandemic. Yeah. And now we're like super great friends and he's awesome. And I love him to death. You just like build that relationship. Um, Dylan and I had been in like Dylan, the drummer and cluttered 
and I had been in like a couple cover bands together and like our first bands played shows together in like 2006, 2007. Um, and so we had like known of each other, but we weren't really like tight. And I played gobble fest in Sydney and it was during, it was like 2020. So they were like only doing some solo shows in a coffee house. And so I like, I went and I played and Dylan watched it because Dylan is from Cape Breton. And so was paying attention to Gobble Fest. And he's like, I hear something in your songs. We should maybe do something together sometime. And we were just like shooting the shit. And we've since become like songwriting. Like he'll, I'll, I'll assemble like the guitars and the vocals and the bass and like send it to him and he'll put drums on it. And we just kind of arrange shit together. And that's like, it's a pretty good working relationship. I do have to admit you're like cluttered as a band yeah. is a very talented and very cohesive unit. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's wild when everybody like, like it's the first band I've ever been in where like, when you go to show new songs, everybody sits down and looks at their own instrument and doesn't look to me to show them how to play the song. Mm, nice. Um, which was just like, I just thought it was always that way. Cause it would be like, it's a song I wrote. So I will show you, like, I have no problem doing that. That's, that's part of the deal. But like, I remember we were learning a song before we were starting to play shows and literally everybody sat down and just like started figuring it out themselves. And I was like, Oh, this is like, everybody's in like on top of it, like, like all of the different relationships that we have. Cause like we have the group relationship and then like Becca and I are tight and like Dylan and AJ are tight and Dylan and I are tight. And like, we're all friends together, like in groups of two and groups of three. Yeah. And then like, as a whole, we're all friends. So it's like, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And it's like, that's one of the things that when we had a fill in for that show with Becca, it felt so weird because I'm just like, I don't have like my co-pilot to the left of me, like, you know, the, yeah. Like helping me steer the ship. Right. Like, it's just like, but we killed it. It was great. And like Sean did a wonderful job filling in and we all like wanted to do a good job. And I think that might be part of it is just everybody wants to do a good job. Yeah. Which is great. There's a, there's a pride in, in a lot of punk bands. There's that whole, like, who cares? Whatever. Rock and roll, yeah. punk rock attitude. And I, you know, like you, my first bands were fucking terrible. Like we went on tour and I have no idea how, like we should not have been allowed, you know, but as similar to you, I progressed as a musician. I, I started to be like, okay, like this song is, is, is okay. Like I want to play it well. I want everyone to play it well. Yeah. And everything just kind of changed. And I've been lucky enough to be in often, most of my life, been in bands where the people I was with felt the same way. You know, yeah. it's not about the, the it's, chaos and it's invaluable. Like yeah. for everyone to be on the same page, like for you to just be like, let's go. Like, let's go do the thing. Let's hang out. Let's do whatever. Like, there's no reason that the talk show host split that we're doing um, should have come together as fast as it did because it started off as a text message from me to Chris from talk show host saying, Hey, if y'all are playing Pooza, you should cover enemy you and let me sing. And then it just turned into this thing. And that was only like five or six weeks ago. Like, like 
it's going to be done and mixed in the next two weeks and then like come out in sometime in May. Um, but it like, everybody is like equally contributing and wanting to do their parts and like everybody's stoked on it. So Maddie, is there a time where you say, well, that would be really cool, but I don't have time to do this. Not often. (laughs) (laughs) I'll find Uh, time. (laughs) I'll find time. I'll I'll sleep less. I'll sleep less. I mean, like, I'm really privileged that like, um, people at least in like some circles are like paying attention to the things I do. So I'm like really, really fortunate in that sense that like, Mm. you know, I can put something out and like, it ends up on punk news, which I used to read all the time because that's, that was like the only source of punk stuff on the internet. Um, and, and like, you know, you can just like, people are just kind of like paying attention to me in a way that like, I'm not like a celebrity at at all but like musically it's just like oh this is like a person in this subgenre that does things in canada maybe we should support her and so it's it's been pretty it's been pretty rad um now question what is the subgenre of me yeah that, that's uh, okay so what i've been saying what i said for years was bummer punk <laughs> Okay. Uh, Future Girls was a bummer punk band, like hands down. Uh, and I think that's probably the most accurate. Um, the other thing that I was using for, or been using recently is just like the phrase stay tired. So it's <laughs> like, like, I don't know, like bummer punk, tired punk, aging punk. Like, I like it. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. And this may this may come across as a weird question, but it's a question nonetheless. Every story you've told so far, yeah, with regards to bands and music and this and that has been like over the top positive, which is yeah. amazing. Has there ever been a time like when you came out maybe or any any time actually where all of a sudden something changed? Or have you been lucky enough that like all of your music friends and all of your bandmates have been like, I don't care. I love you. Let's keep going. Um, and you don't have to answer that, obviously. It's no, just, I'm, I'm, I'm down to answer it. Uh, so like a lot of my music friends were really, were really like good about it. And like, it took some people some time. Um, but also there's just like, um, I think being not like, you know, for so long I was perceived as like, like a straight white guy when in reality I was like a queer non-binary trans woman. (laughs) Um, I think like coming out definitely flips a switch in the sense that people are, I mean, we're recording this before trans day of visibility, which is, like we're recording this on the 30th and tomorrow's the 31st. So like tomorrow there will be a ton of posts about like trans people being visible and trans people existing. And like, it's a conversation that's happening in society and like in society right now. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I can't help but think that 
maybe the reason like some people are paying attention is because I am trans and that's fucking, that's cool. Like if that's the thing that leads you to like find the thing I make, then like I'm, I'm super down and like, you know, like it's, it's a weird thing. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's, it's, I'm, I'm curious if it, no, let me rephrase this. I feel like because you're so prolific in so many different bands and you're not always the front person. No. I I feel like it doesn't define you being a trans woman does not define who you are in all of your music, which I think is great because I think a lot of people would use that as like a leverage thing. As a leverage thing, yeah. Yeah, I uh I feel I feel really weird about it it's like like i had uh i had a was running a gofundme for a while and it feels really weird to like ask for help in that capacity like it's still up but i don't like advertise it it's just like um it's the same kind of thing where it's just like oh i wish i could like take care of this myself but i need help and like then like the greater community kind of like shows up and like shows up in a big way and kind of, you know, it kind of reinstills your faith in humanity at the same time as also being like, ah, fuck, I can't believe I had to ask for help. Like, what was the GoFundMe about? Um, I was trying to raise money to get FFS, which is facial feminization surgery. Sure. Um, and I would still really like to do that. So mm. I'm going to, I'm going to probably share it tomorrow. Um, cool. But it's really expensive. It's yeah. very, very expensive. Yeah. And yeah at the same time as I was doing it, that was my big, that was the big thing with the GoFundMe was I was doing that. And also I was like underemployed at the time. So I needed to like also try to support myself. And like, so I was like getting and working odd jobs and like doing lots of little stuff while also being like pay to ease my dysphoria, please. But isn't it wonderful, you know, these GoFundMes, how people get together and say, yeah, I want to contribute to that. I'll put in 20 bucks, 25 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is. It's incredible. Uh, You see that with people who are ill, who have medical expenses that they can't pay and they explain and people are touched by it. And it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's definitely cool. It's definitely like, it's almost like you just don't know how to take it sometimes yeah. where it's yeah, just like, imagine. like, cause asking for help was never really something that was like, uh, encouraged as I was growing up, I was whiny and I needed a lot of help. And it was always kind of like, again, um, yeah. At a certain point, you just, I feel like we have to kind of let that go Yeah, and just, you know, the, the thing is, and I don't know. I I, look, I saw your GoFundMe, and I mean, you've you've done pretty well. You've over sixty percent of what you yeah asked for, which I think is fantastic. That's it's you incredible. Know? It's like incredible, yeah. it's wild, which is why it feels weird having to post it again to be like still trying to reach that goal. Like it, it's just a little bit like like honestly, it's, it's honestly, I'm I'm sure I'm like it's not my GoFundMe, so I don't really know. But I mean, from an outsider perspective, and you being who you are you know because people relate to your art they they want to see you get to where you want to be 
And the reality yeah. is the majority of people know that if you're playing in a bummer punk band, you're not going to be Blink-182. You're not going to be Green Day. You know what I mean? No. So the reality is if you can either go get a nine to five, which has good insurance, which will maybe cover this, but then you can't go on tour. You can't record. You can't do this. You can't do that. Or like you said, you can work odd jobs and still be creative, still be able to tour, still be able to play shows, still be able to bring your message to people. Yeah. And the reality is like, you know, because of like Tivo said, because of GoFundMe and things like that, there, there's, there's a new way to, to, to directly help people. Yeah. If, if, yeah. They're, if they're big enough to ask for it. Yeah. And it's I, I the like hive. To, Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I also feel like I'd like to think that the, the people who are just being self-serving and shitty on things like and asking for stuff that are just ridiculous will get weeded out and won't get, people won't give them money or pay attention to them. Whereas the people yeah. who actually need stuff, like Tibo said, like I, I have, I've had friends who've, you know, buddy of mine is 41 and has stage four colon cancer wow. and he can't, he has three kids. Um, they live in Toronto. They couldn't afford daycare if his wife went to work and he went to work. So he was making more money. So she stayed home and now he can't work for months. He's in like crazy chemo and radiation. Wow. Yeah. So his, uh, no, I think it was his brother or his best friend set up this GoFundMe. And he was, my friend was like really shocked and kind of like, Oh, I don't want this. I don't like, don't, I don't want this. And then the outpouring made him reevaluate. Yeah. And, you know, his, his wife would leave messages being like, we can't believe this. Thank you so much. No, no, no. It's like Tebow says, it's the hive mind. It's if people believe in someone and they want to help, they're going to help. Yeah. You know, I, I just, no, it's true. I've, I mean, like I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. yeah like, totally. And I think it's great. I, I don't know. I don't. Uh... It's the beauty of the internet. One of the beauties. I mean, there's yeah, uh, like too. everything. There's uh, the yin and the yang. But uh, being able to have that big of an audience and touch that many people and how people can interact directly and change people's lives. I mean, yeah. and it's pretty incredible. Yep. I have a friend in the UK who started the GoFundMe. She's a musician as well. Yeah. Uh, for top surgery. Nice. And I think she reached her goal not that long ago. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that fucking rules. Uh, and like, all of this stuff should just be like basic healthcare stuff. Like, like the yes. <laughs> the stuff, the stuff that like is covered by like governments where they're like, oh, sometimes top surgery is for like trans women or like sometimes you know, bottom surgery is like generally like they're like, here you go. You have bottom surgery. You're done transitioning now. And it's like, well, what about all the things that people like actually see like yeah. the shape of your head or like the way that you talk or like all of these things like should just be like, and not saying that anybody needs to do anything. Like you don't have to medically transition to be trans. You don't have to mm -hmm. have yeah. surgeries. You don't have to, to do any of that stuff. But so if you so choose and you want to like maybe make the game a little bit less hard on yourself, like 
What's the harm in that? Yeah. And the problem is, uh, you know, as dumb as it sounds, people are still afraid of it. Oh, so, completely. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's, that's, it's, I, uh, I, I, it's, it doesn't make any sense to me as somebody who's just like, who's lived through it. I'm like, Oh, people are like, like some people are scared of trans people or they like don't get it or it's weird or it's scary to them or something. And I'm like, people are just people like, what's your fucking problem? Yeah. 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 Uh, and unfortunately, like Tebow said, the yin and the yang of the internet. Yeah. The internet has made idiots very powerful. Well, the last two years have just been in an echo chamber. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Well put. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you want to ask me any more band questions? Yeah, totally. Um, you, well, Cluttered won Best Loud Band at the Nova Scotia Awards. Yeah. Uh, there's not a quiet category. Uh, <laughs> loud is just the combination of like the metal and hard rock and punk categories. So please don't take any offense to this. No. I don't know who else would have been nominated in the Nova Scotia Loud category, but was it all like Nickelback sounding bands and then you? No, uh, there were a couple of rad bands. Um, if okay. I remember right, uh, Hemming Neglect was nominated, which are like a cool, they're a cool band. Um, and it was weird to be nominated. And it was even weirder when they were like, you should probably go to the award show. And I was like, what? And like, I had been nominated for musician of the year as well. And so I was just like, there's no way I'm winning that. Like straight up. I just know that there is no way I'm going to win that, but maybe clutter to win who knows. And then, so we're sitting at this table and they're like, wow, category of the year and cluttered. And we go up and I was like, I didn't expect to win. So we didn't prepare a speech, but not bad for something we did in a basement. And then I walk off stage and everybody claps and it was really nice. Uh, a very validating moment for having like toiled in punk obscurity for so many years. I'm sure. But like, did you have to apply to be part of this or did they just. So you apply to showcase at the festival and oh, okay, then okay. they're like, okay, they have an awards show. If you've had a release, you can nominate the release. And so oh, I nominated cool. the release and I, I nominated a bunch of stuff. And then those were the two that stuck. Crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, runner up musician of the year next to maybe the best bass player in Halifax. So I don't really feel particularly <laughs> bad. <laughs> I mean, what's the joke? Second place is first loser. Come on, Maddie, you're better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, first loser. Oh. That's a great. Oh, that's going to be the fucking next solo album. <laughs> that's pretty bummer rock. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer punk yeah. Title. First, first loser. There we go. Thanks. I didn't know I was going to write a new solo album this, uh, this year, but here we go. It'll, uh, it'll be the nice follow-up to putting out one called dysphoria city limits. So. <laughs> that's a rad name. Yeah, I don't know how I came up with it, but uh, I'm really stoked. Like, I did those recordings in like two days or something and like got them mixed, and they're just very scrappy. And like, my mental health had kind of taken a downturn. And I was just like, I'm going to write my way through this. And I did and brought to release this like four little song EP that I like didn't probably do it. The thing with putting out so much stuff is sometimes you just like don't do enough promotion or like push it the right way. Um, 
but I did get a really nice review from, I believe they're called Dominionated or Dom. Yeah. I think it's Dominionated. Um, and they, they wrote like the, the most incredible review of like my solo material that's ever happened. Amazing. And I was, just, yeah, it's like, it's the shit. Um, the link is online. Uh, but they were like, they hit like every point, like, to the to the point where i was like i don't even remember consciously doing this like <laughs> but like somebody saw it and and kind of saw what i was trying to do and it was really it was really lovely well i mean this this all comes back we talked about this earlier tiba said it you know it's like this is this is the power of music it's community it's it's communication where someone can interpret what you're saying and meld it to their own vision of what they think is happening and what they think it is. Granted, I think it was, was I think it was Dave Grohl said something like that. Like once you write a song and put it out, the song ends up becoming not for you anymore. Mm. Oh yeah. Like what it meant that. to you is like different than what it's going to mean to every other person that's going to hear it. Yeah, totally. So it must have been weird to have this reviewer just like check all the boxes. <laughs> Fucking like saw right through me. Jesus. Like just like like whole thing and i was just like this is like incredible like i should you know i'm going to use this when i apply for grants i'm going to show people that i have like have merit like you might need to meet this reviewer because you might be a kindred soul i mean you might really connect with this person yeah uh we're we're twitter friends so that's that's like a good start that's a start that's a good start yeah (laughs) yeah um, I think that's about it for this. Anything else, Timo? Well, I'm curious, Maddie. What are you grateful for? Uh, like on a daily question. level? Good question. Yeah. Um, um, I feel uh, that's a really hard question. Um, just just bear with me for a second while I think oh, of an take answer. Your time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful that like I can still do this, that I can like get up and kind of like, you know, live life on like whatever terms that I'm currently living life on. And I can like, I have got people that love me and care about me and uh, I'm able to like create a thing that maybe somebody's going to want to listen to and like, you know, um, I'm grateful for those things. I'm grateful for my cat, which you probably have heard at different points in this podcast. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful for PK, my my cat. Uh, like, just little things. I try not to like try and put too much focus on like huge picture things. It's almost like looking like two steps ahead of you all the time, instead of like looking off into the distance while walking. It's just like, it kind of, it's not that it shrinks your worldview, but it just shrinks the window of what you're focusing on a little bit. So it's able to be, so you're able to be like, you know, grateful for little things in your life, which is just like, I managed to sleep through the night. Sick. Like, Mm great. Let's, let's go. Like, um, yeah. So every day is a little bit different, but like for the most part, I'm just kind of grateful to be doing what I'm doing. 
what you're saying reminds me of that old bumper sticker, you know, um, think globally, act locally. Yeah. I mean, your local scene is what builds up the global scene. So yeah, you got to nurture that first. Totally. Yeah. And those little moments of gratitude, whether it's a good sleep, whether it's your cat playing with you has much more impact in terms of you creating music and doing what you want to do. And, yeah. you know, and it just kind of expands. Yeah. It's, I mean, like every day is, uh, you know, a challenge, right? Like that's mm. just kind of the baseline is every day is a challenge. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, having a good support structure and like being really fortunate to have that. And mm. like knowing that if something goes totally off the fucking rails, which like it can and probably will, mm-hmm. that there's somebody I can like reach out to and be like, Hey, shit is fucked up right now. This is happening. And then even just to have a, a somebody to be like, that really sucks. Like, you know, then it validates you and you're like, cool, I can move on from this thing that was like really hard and I'll process it as I'm doing a thousand other things. Right. Right. Always forward, never stopping. Can't, can't stop, won't stop. Yeah. (laughs) I think Ozzy said that too. Can't stop, won't stop. Yeah. Something like that. I think on the crazy train. No, it's on the, actually it's Lemmy. uh, It's Lemmy who wrote a song for Ozzy called Desire. And I can't stop because it's going to make me crazy. It's a, oh. If you read the lyrics of that song, wow. it's amazing. Anyways. So, <laughs> so Lemmy wrote songs for the Ramones and Mo, uh, like Ramones and Ozzy. And Ozzy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, let me, let me, let me use a special character. Yeah. Let me... Hey, thanks a lot, Maddie, for this. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. Thank you. And Maddie, just before, where can people find you, reach you, uh, and connect with you after um, uh, hearing you? Uh, Instagram at Maddie Disgrace, Twitter at Maddie Disgrace, uh, Instagram at Cluttered Band, or Twitter at Cluttered Band. Um, you can try to find me on Facebook, but I use a fake name. So, so uh, the other ones are better. The other ones are better. Um, yeah, if you want to do that, uh, if you want to support any of the bands that I'm in, uh, it's basically just the band name.bandcamp.com is the best way to do it. Uh, so like cluttered.bandcamp.com or moderncynics.bandcamp.com or maddiegrace.bandcamp.com. Um, those are all, those are all good options. That's where you can find stuff. Uh, but yeah, Instagram, I'm on too much. And <laughs> if you, uh, if you want to get in touch with me, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Yeah. And the GoFundMe? Oh, uh, the GoFundMe is the link in my Instagram bio. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, uh, that still that still exists. As it should, until you reach your goal. Yeah. And, yeah. It's it's. I I think it's feasible, and I think it's it'll be a good thing, and it's. I think you should know about it. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and hang out. Agreed. Uh, Let's hang out in real life soon. Yeah.